This is Brain Fuzz, the art, music and culture podcast with Joe Camusa and Matthew White. In this episode, Joe and Matthew visit sculptor Christina West. The three discuss her process and practice as well as the controversial aspects of her work. They also explore how sport plays a role in discipline and work-life balance. We join them at a table in her sculpture studio. This is episode 47. Now I just remember that you, didn't you start as a painter? Uh Uh-huh. Well, I mean, yeah, in undergrad, but... You did start as a painter. My my undergrad degree was in painting. Okay. So, like, when you get a BFA at some schools, you choose a concentration, and I chose painting. Okay. But, I mean, you're so young, you know, like, in your 20s, like... Does it really even count as... <laughs> sure. When did, when did it change for you? Like, when did you... Well, so then partway through uh, undergrad, mm-hmm. I took a ceramics class and and then pretty fell really hard into sculpting with clay. What was it that attracted you most in the beginning? When I was painting, I was painting images, right? I was painting figurative stuff. And so when I started sculpting in clay, it was also figurative and representational things and so basically though that imagery got pulled into three dimensions and so just like the way the image then sat in space with you and um you know that the viewer confronted it in a, in a way that that had, had a different impact than an image where you would sort of maybe project yourself into it or you know had a little bit more distance um and so i was attracted to that presence that sculpture had did it seem easier in a way, yeah. You know, in terms of trying to create depth, you know, on a 2D surface. Right, instead of creating the illusion of depth, yeah. I was just making it in three dimensions. And, and with my paintings, I never really knew what to do with the backgrounds. Like, I was really interested in the figure and what the figure was doing. Mm-hmm. But then I'd always be like, oh, no, now what do I do in the background? And so now it's just like the space is the background. You know, like things exist in space. Right. Yeah. Right. So for those that are not familiar with your work, they're hearing this and hearing about you for the first time. Could you give us a brief overview? Describe the work for us. So I make a figurative sculpture that often is presented in an installation where there are multiple figures and I'm considering the space that everything's presented in. So I'm thinking about how viewers are going to encounter the figures as they move through the space and also just the the spatial relationship of uh, viewers own bodies to the space so so making spaces maybe a little bit more uncomfortable by tightening up walkways or lowering ceilings and things like that and um, and then integrated into that are these figures that that you encounter um, through, an often layered sense of space. So, so what you first see when you enter the gallery um, so reveals itself to have more layers to it. Where there are there are openings that maybe you didn't first see mm-hmm. that you can peer into and, and get a glimpse into another another scenario that's happening. Or as you walk through, like things shift and change. Uh-huh. Um, what is the like the true definition for ceramics? For it to be, you know. Stamped, I mean, I guess kosher, like it. I guess the, like <laughs> it, it just if it's clay, clay okay. or fired gotcha. clay, you know, um, right. pe- yeah, unfired clay 
technically is not ceramic like by the strict definition but there are so many people doing work in that way in the field so just like the inclusion of clay so so my work does start with clay it's just it gets translated into other materials okay like is there reference material to start or i know you also talk about using the fact that there's multiples mm-hmm. um from your casts is that correct yeah uh-huh um, yeah so so to sculpt the figures i i start with reference imagery of models so i invite okay. a model over and we have a photo session and then ah. from there i you know choose a couple poses that that i really am interested in and then uh work from those and it stays you know pretty true to the pose in the photograph like there will be subtle shifts and it doesn't necessarily look exactly like the model like i'm not trying to create a portrait of the model there's a likeness usually but um like the the photographs help me make the figures look believable Mm -hmm. you know like they have a presence that's like you're not questioning so much the proportions and stuff it just like seems natural and so i I just want i want them to like there's a degree of realism where like if you do it wrong it's very apparent oh right you know and so so the photographs just help that happen but there's there's not really reference imagery in terms of like the compositions or you have experienced some trouble with, dare we say, censorship? A little bit, yeah. 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 You know, there's you're playing with so many, you know, body image and all of this comes comes into mind when you when you see one of these installations. There's that moment, it's it's tense, mm-hmm. it's awkward in a way. Mm-hmm. But I, I can't imagine being offended by what I see. Right, yeah, the places that have not wanted to show my work or have backed out of shows have been very conservative. But universities, like, correct? Yeah, universities. Which, like, isn't, like it, isn't that ironic? It, yeah, so, like, there there, there was a, early on, like, a, a very um, conservative school in New York invited me to do a show, and I was like, mm-hmm. sure, yeah, like, of course, like, any opportunity to be able to do a new installation right. and do what I want. And um, the gallery director had to have her lineup of exhibitions approved by the president or the provost or someone high up. And then that person, when they saw images of my work, was like, no way. Really? Yeah. He was like, he said to her, if you show this work, I will close down the gallery. But it was like a super conservative school. Like She just misread, I think, the situation in terms of thinking that it would be okay to invite me. But and jumping off from there, though, but I think it is amazing in like the university setting, which is supposed to be open and about ideas and learning. But it does seem like there's this ridiculous double standard, like with respect to nudity. And it's like just like, yeah, I'm imagining like just what's on Game of Thrones. And yet if someone sees a statue, right, you know, it's like, oh, we got to cover that up. I I haven't seen Game of Thrones. Do they show full frontal male nudity? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Everything you can imagine. Really? But what's amazing to me is Because that that's always the problem. The penis is the problem. The that's, penis that's is the problem. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's been the problem for, for a long time. Essentially. <laughs> uh, the penis is the problem. They never complain about the boobs or, you know. Really? Any, I could have as many naked females as I want sitting around in a gallery and no one would care. But as soon as you have exposed male genitalia, that's when people get offended. 
Really? Yeah, that's the part that makes where the most discomfort comes from from people. Like the feedback that I hear or um, like in the instances where people have asked me to like change something. Like I had a, a, ga- a gallery once ask, again at a university, ask if I could show only the female figures. Really? Yeah. How about that? It's just bizarre. <laughs> like again, I'm, I, I'm not much on pop culture but like what i do see blows me away in terms of the violence and the violence you know i don't have a problem with nudity but like but what is and let alone what's available on our our devices and yet you know you could be walking through even the high museum and watch school groups and they're just like running past you know this hint of scandal in Mm -hmm. some you know old european painting or something where maybe you see somebody's elbow or I don't know. It's yeah. just you thought like it's like what year is this? Mm-hmm. I wonder if it's in the in the in the. Uh, um, just say it, Matthew. Come on. I'm in the patriarchy, do you think that uh, in the hetero patriarchy, do you think that there is something that clicks in a decision maker's mind that says can't have the penis here? I'm, this is awkward, but I'm just going to say it. Is it is it size? Is it perspective? Is it what is it? I'm yes. wondering, <laughs> but I'm wondering. You're getting a lot of ideas here for a new body. Of work. I'm wondering. Um, no, I, I do. I, I am asking that because it, it caused a lot of the tension and the awkwardness maybe coming from calling into question masculinity. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that's where it comes from. It could be. I mean, we don't. It's not something that is uh, represented as often. You know, like so. If we think about popular culture and the nudity that we do see on television and movies you know it's you just don't see full frontal male nudity you're seeing a lot more of it though yeah you are seeing a lot more of it probably more and it's usually recent years but still it's it's rare compared to seeing a completely naked female yeah no i understand the poses are not you know a lot of the poses and um, perspective, or uh, the one right over Joe's shoulder here is, is one that, you know, I understand how that can create tension. And, and what what do you mean when you say tension? Uh, not used to seeing that um, that position. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, so if you think of if you go back and you look through and you look, you know, classical, you know, almost iconic contrapposto kind of. But this, it seems less posed. It's more candid, or something. And I mean, that I think is more, where the sculpture could be. But like the yeah, there's something ordinary or yeah. mundane about. And I think the that that's where pose. the tension. Just that's what I gather mm-hmm. as a viewer. Because when I walk into the room and see this, I'm. It's not the presence of the genitalia. It's more the. Mm-hmm. Well, that one doesn't have any yet. Well, it, yeah. Is that going to be a snap on? What? How is that? <laughs> I was swapping it out. The I'm genitalia? Give, I'm giving him a different one, yeah. So that one... <laughs> this is fascinating. <laughs> that one had an erect penis because uh-huh. I made it for a show that I did a few years ago called Explicit Content. Uh-huh. And the gallery uh, director was like, just send me your edgiest stuff. You know, I want this to like really push the boundaries of what you do. And so I had never made a figure with an erect penis. And so... That's what he had. But then now for the, I'm going to use this in my next show, and it just doesn't make sense to have it in there. Like, I don't want it to be a top. It would be like the focus of conversation if I put that in this next Absolutely. show. Yeah. And so I'm just giving him a regular old mm-hmm. 
Unflaccid. Number six. Yes. It's <laughs> probably a number. Number eight. <laughs> um, I always like what. Do, what do you want? From, you know, what do you want from us viewers? You know, like because I mean, I see humor. What do I, want from I you? see shock. Wait, just I'm just. Let like, us what do you want already. from me? <laughs> uh, you know, in terms of like again, in setting up your installations. What do you, is, is there something in your head or are you just leaving it for like open interpretation? But I mean, are you trying to shock um, or play with kind of uh, drawing someone in and then maybe kind of, is, is there like a sucker punch or all of the above? Uh, no, I mean. Not, not in a bad way. No, I just, a sucker punch sounds very negative, but. Um, no, I just mean, I mean, maybe having. Um, There's more, there's meat. Bad choice of words. There's, uh, <laughs> there's some serious subject matter. I think people can be seduced. I mean, well, I don't care if they're looking at a painting or a sculpture or an automobile. Like, I think instantly everyone, they look up long enough away from their phone for a second. And you're like, oh, that's nice. And then that's mm-hmm. kind of what I'm trying to mm-hmm. stumble onto with my yeah. mangled English here. But I kind of wonder, like, if you, do you seduce folks almost with how amazingly well these are made? And then sometimes there's color, and that's kind of what I mean. Instead of it being like, I'm not in any way saying it's a negative, but like, if you if you care to pay attention, suddenly there's yeah. I mean, there's always a push and pull of familiarity and then strangeness. So like, they're rendered very with a lot of clarity and um, and, and things like that. But then the color and the scale is like weird, and 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 the spaces too often have an element of like some characteristics of a domestic space with like the trim and the picture frames and okay. the blinds and things so that there's that familiarity, but then those things are used in ways that are less expected. So there is that push and pull of you think you know what you're seeing, but then, you know, it gets, uh, yeah. comes into question a little bit more. Okay, so you want, you want the viewer to experience some level of kind of un- awkwardness or... Yeah, of... Uh, yeah, questioning, maybe being unsettled, uh, discomfort. Um, yeah. How? When did the installation? Because I'm thinking of like, and which I've never seen in person, uh, but I've seen you present and talk about um, misfits. Uh huh. And like, how did you get to that point? Like, or how long have you been doing like the installation thing versus? I mean, did you start out making, like, one discrete object, and then it's like, hmm, here's three, and then here's... Right. And sorry to say, I'm just, I mean, you know what I do. I'm kind uh-huh. of just... Uh-huh. I'm a 2D person, so yeah. I'm just blown away by, like, when, when did that... How did that happen? It happened really early on. So in graduate... My first semester of graduate school, I made my first installation where I, I had been making uh, single figures that were... I considered each one its own piece and they could be shown mm-hmm. in a gallery on their own and then I just had this idea and I, I, I'm just, I was trying to remember recently where this came from and I can't really like trace back to like how I got to this point but um, I just had this idea of like it would be interesting if the multiple figures together were the piece Yeah. and we had this project space at school that I used a lot to set things up in and test things out and so my first semester of graduate school, I did a, a piece that had three figures and a dog, and they were all painted the same color, and there was, like, a P. 
piece of canvas on the floor that was the same color and um and that and I had, I set up the figures in a way where there was this ambiguous relationship like there was a sense that you were kind of walking in mid moment where you weren't sure what just happened or was about to happen and I was hooked from there and then I just went through various iterations of like adding a little bit more clarity to the to the narrative to pulling away from narrative to uh, thinking more about the space and altering the space more and mm-hmm. you know just it's it's just each each show I do it seems like there's a new question mm-hmm. either about material or space or uh, narrative but like at the time were there some folks that you were looking at that maybe even were doing something similar uh, or well I really liked Sandy Scoglin's photographs of the installations that she would set up with like you know the multiples of animals creating this surreal situation you know Mm -hmm. so that you can sort of see that influence with the use of color and and like the familiar with the strange and yeah and all that and i really loved eric fischel's early paintings i I was gonna say like i could see it it was almost like taking those it's almost like a living nativity scene now to break it down into my idiot layman's terms but like Uh you know that um yeah, I gave a talk uh, in the fall where afterwards someone was like, I can see how like you've pulled like characteristics from all these different artists and just put them together and it created something new. You know, like I could see how like there's a little bit of Sandy Scoglin, a little bit of George Siegel, a little bit of maybe Bruce Nauman occasionally. Yeah. In, yeah. But for your trajectory, I guess, in your education, that, that was a moment where everything changed. Yeah, and it was very exciting. I bet, like, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was, I can, I can see. It was yeah. super exciting. I mean, it still is exciting, but in a different way. Like, where something's new and you don't really know what to anticipate next. In like, to such a large degree, and so many questions. And and I know just in the time that I've known you and seen your work in various exhibitions that there is an evolution there. That that I see in the in the exhibitions and in the installations. This mentioned uh, in past episodes. The Mattress Factory, located in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, is a recent site for an exhibition of Christina's work. Since its founding in 1977, the Mattress Factory has been a top destination for contemporary art and site-specific installations by artists from around the world. Let's see, I believe at the time of recording it just came down, didn't it, your your show? It's still up. It's oh, up is it? until the end of July. Okay. Yeah. Good, yeah. there's still time for a field trip. <laughs> if they'll fly us up, uh, you know, yeah. we'd be happy to... Uh, Can they put us up in that brain, killer loft? Yeah, put us in the loft. Yeah. Yeah. It, w- it was a place that I visited in graduate school, and I remember just being blown away and, and thinking, I want to show here something. Oh, and then to do it. I know. Yeah, yeah I, it was yeah, surreal to get that, that email. So like, <laughs> I had to read it multiple times. I bet. Like, really? We were talking about that, and I think it's easy... To, uh, to look at other people, other, keep it to artists, you know, other people's careers and, and think like, wow, look at this trajectory. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, of course there's hard work, but, uh, you know, it seems like um, you've had a, a plan all along in terms of like the teaching and yet you're still able to make work, show. In, I mean, how many books are written about, how, you know, how to be a successful artist or I don't know. How do you answer that when people say like, you know, how, how are you doing this? Or what was your advice to, you know, folks that are trying to make art and show it? I mean, the, the, it, you always hear this and it, I know people are 
tired of hearing it and it sounds really obvious, but first, the, the work comes first. You have to have the work. A lot of students get really um, focused on promoting themselves and creating a brand before they even have good work yet. And yeah. so I, I feel kind of lucky that I came, like I went through school and everything before Instagram and Facebook and I didn't get a website until I graduated f- with my MFA. Yeah. And so like the online stuff was not even on my radar. Like I was just totally focused on being in the studio and making work and, and doing and because of that, there wasn't like this external validation that I was working towards. I was doing it just because it was exciting to me, you know. And so, um, it, and then so like I've figured out a way of working um, the studio practice that continues to be engaging and is flexible to like new ideas and experimentation, um, and allowing me to show different kinds of shows whether it's like the discrete objects with the busts or larger installations in in non-commercial spaces and um and that just happened organically because i just continued to be engaged in the studio and so all the other stuff um the opportunities that have come my way have mostly been from someone who i've met or someone who's a friend of a friend who wants to help me you know or thinks of me for something you know like when I apply for things I have a very low acceptance rate actually like I would say like 90% of the opportunities I have are people contacting me because they've heard of my work somehow no I think think that that is I think that's across the board I think it is and I think people think their success rate is especially bad so they don't Uh talk about it right but I think that's just the reality of that's just the economics of the situation right you make it sound and look a lot easier than it is. I, I just, I don't see, I like not doing this isn't an option for me. Yes. Right. Like yeah. I can't imagine not doing it. There isn't another right. thing I want to be doing more. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, when people are like, well, what are you doing over the summer? And yeah. it's like, I'm working in the studio. And then they're kind of like let down, like, oh, you're not going anywhere. You're not like taking any big trips or and it's like when I do take trips, it's usually to research, to like look at art and like yeah. maybe research places and things. And but yeah, yeah um, that's me. my life has stayed pretty simple, you know, and that like there's not a lot of like extra stuff pulling at my time, you know. It's like I don't have kids or pets, or um, my husband is very supportive, uh-huh. fully on board with me spending a lot of time doing this, and he's more than happy to travel with me for art related things. And most of our vacations are, like, related to an art trip of some sort. And um, so that that helps that I'm not, like, you know, getting pushed back with that. And the fact that, like, half of my house is studio, like, he's very supportive of that. You know, I know people who are, like, working in tiny little slivers of spaces in their house because, you know, their spouse doesn't want them to yeah. take up too much of the house. Yep. Yeah. And like, that's a deal breaker for me. Yep. Like if I can't do this, then yeah. that's, this is the number one thing. So I'm hearing it's, focus and strength of the work is what it's all boiled down to. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah. Well, commitment too. Yeah, I mean, that, and I think that's whether I see it in, you know, again, all those books on uh, artists uh, that we, you know, venerate. Cause wow, they were in, you know, the new museum or this or that. And it's like the one thing you always, I always go back to is, it's that I have to do this, 
you know, whether right. I you know like it or not, it's not all you know puppies and yeah and sunsets every day in a studio. But um, yeah, I mean, I have I have I've had periods where I get really down about like feeling like my career isn't going anywhere, and like you don't want to have like a lot of rejections right in a row or oh, yeah, like something right. that I you know for whatever reason really wanted and then I didn't get it and and that combined with like other things will sure. make me like fall into this like sort of depression and I've had moments where it's like is this really what I should be doing like maybe you know I could do other things like I I could have another job and do really well at it um yeah and so I really like sat down and thought about it and I always come back to you know this is this is what I want to do like even if this is it if this is where my career stays like I do really I, I am fulfilled doing this. Oh, that's it, refreshing to yeah, hear. It is yeah. refreshing to hear. When you're feeling that way, by the way, don't don't look on Instagram because that's usually like, that's <laughs> yeah. when the death knell that's comes weird. in. Yeah. Of like, oh, so, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. Or turn your focus to puppies and sunsets. What's a sunrise versus a sunset? I think would be better, Joe. Puppies and sunrises. It depends. It's your choice. <laughs> What? Just like penis size, I don't know. <laughs> what do you like? I am avoiding that topic. Oh I, come on! We, I think we let's get censored. Let's get some press. So, do you guys ever want to just do this like without the tape on? Because, like, I feel like you know you could go different places. I would prefer okay. it, but the goal it, it, <laughs> it, you're always there's always a dance because you, we try to keep. As you can see, we try to keep the equipment to a minimum. Mm -hmm. We don't keep, which causes audio. Right, but there's things I will not say with that going. Absolutely. Oh, all of us. Yeah, Yeah. it's a different. Yeah, yeah. it's a different animal. But the the goal is to get as close to that while documenting it for the future. You know, Mm -hmm. because I think of, I think of, I also think of conversations that wouldn't have happened if we weren't recording. Mm -hmm. So, so if we just said, hey, we're going to go, let's go talk with Christina. I was like, yeah, well, maybe next Thursday. Yeah, and then maybe it wouldn't happen. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it formalizes it. It formalizes it, but you're trying to strike that balance. It's been an interesting um, journey because I'm not one. If it was up to me, we'd still probably be just like uh, almost like demoing, you know, to put it into like musical terms. Uh-huh. Um, but to actually have to stick one's neck out with, like you said, a recorded thing, it's out there. Um, makes me really uncomfortable in terms of though the, the thing that keeps me going aside from hanging out with this guy um, is you know because it does create this where you, you get out and you meet people that you wouldn't normally and it's an even it seems to me like an even playing field and um, and like you said the specter of this thing recording yeah. it does keep everybody from probably like let's face it you get into any artist's conversation uh, you know at, at a show or something and what happens you know it always devolves into just mm-hmm. kind of talking shop and mm-hmm. smack etc not doing smack talking um <laughs> but anyway uh, <laughs> no it, okay so that earlier exchange we were having about the work and i was trying to um explain put into words articulate my my experience in seeing your work in the past it makes having that here makes me stop, mm-hmm. think about it, mm-hmm. and rather than just have a passing thought and then you know put it on Instagram, we're really cool work, and then you know, right. you know what I mean? Yeah, these colors are blowing me away, you know, and then uh-huh. be done with it. But it, it, yeah, it, it forces you to talk about the creative process and look at works uh, in, in more in depth mm-hmm. and take a moment, pause, and. Really think about it. And then there's the editing process. So I go back through and I look, I listen to this, these conversations again. Mm-hmm. 
it's the opposite of Instagram in a lot of ways. It really is. But it's a challenge. I mean, I listen to a fair amount of podcasts and um, and even art related podcasts, and there are some that are good and some that the content's amazing. But the, you know, whether it's the audio or some that are done all by phone, it just mm. like drives me crazy. It's but, um, but in terms of, I mean, we we're, we're probably in the podcasting, you know, like golden golden hour or gold, the golden age of podcasting. The golden age of podcasting. You know, you think about Ira Glass and all these people and. Um, so it just, to me, it's like a huge challenge, you know, it's like, not only am I trying to like get it together in the studio, then you get into this area. I'm not a trained broadcaster, obviously. Um, you know, I, I don't think being a broadcaster no, but is in terms important. Of, you just need to be a good You need listener. to ask some better questions. You need to be a good listener because then you know what questions to ask to follow up. Yeah. And where do you exercise that muscle of the brain, you know? It's a thing that... I think is most important with teaching. And so I, I, so like studio visits with students and critiques and things, I feel like that's the most important thing. So it's really something that I've developed over the years, I guess. Yeah. You know, like when I first started teaching, it would just be like panic of like, oh no, what am I going to tell this person? You know, and then it, then I just realized, oh wait, if I just listen to them, it's just going to organically work itself out like sure. I'll know how to respond that's true so yeah there's yeah. something about silence and allowing silence especially like you know in the like a studio visit type setting yeah. right uh, or, yeah where know. it feels a little awkward like most people don't like that the first few seconds yeah. of like silence and yeah that's one of my favorite things to just like no, to be great. silent or, or like when I'm walking with someone to somewhere like I like to just like not say anything and then and just enjoy that and then see how they fill the space because most people will. Oh yeah, I mean it makes <laughs> I, I often and I have to play a game to try to shut my mouth or I have to count. But like elevators are excruciating for me, or um, but to just be silent and I can be silent, but I feel like often you know it's like that small talk or try to say something funny or whatever, and it's just like just shut up, just shut up. <laughs> Brain fuzz therapy, it comes out every time. <laughs> All right, speaking of therapy, I did not expect pulling up. You're talking about basketball. I'm going to talk about this. We're outing We here. saw the basketball goal, <laughs> and we did not expect that, and we thought, well, that must be left over from we a had, previous yeah, owner. Night, meet, I, we we had nice neat box <laughs> where... <laughs> yeah. basketball could not be part of my world. Yeah, but so so you'll be working, and then you can just go out there and shoot some baskets right it's true and what does that do for you i actually don't it, it doesn't really like work its way into my work day like that yeah. that much it'll be something like something after dinner yeah. paul and i might go out yeah. and shoot baskets yeah but you use the phrase "airball" when i yeah it's a real thing yeah it's when you completely miss the backboard yeah. and the rim and i just did not expect <laughs> to hear you talk about airball. <laughs> Because you think I wouldn't have an air ball because I'm so no. It's, that's what I love about that's what I love about when I see yeah that's no, that's, that's good hand eye coordination. What we have is, and you're a good listener. Uh, when when uh, when we get when we, you know when we pull up in these cars, there's always some little detail that we're like whoa when we look back and that's just not that's not part of what you think you're going to see when you uh-huh. when you enter the environment because sometimes we would I mean we would have of course a lot of these discussions in his studio. And then we've done more recently where we visit the, and every every situation is different and your setup's different. And it's just a different environment. But yeah, 
didn't expect the, the basketball aspect of that. Mm-hmm. I think most people, though, you know, have some kind of... Um, it doesn't seem that weird to me to it's have not weird. something no. that's like... No, I was going to no, say, most people weird. have something Relaxing. like, what do you do when you're, uh, you know, maybe at an impasse or you just need a stress relief? I mean... Well, but it's usually cigarettes and other... Mm-hmm. And, and no, it's nice to see, you know, obviously, I mean, well, well-rounded. Um, but that is, like, the sports thing is, is uh, gets thrown around a lot like it's almost as if you're an artist you can't have an yeah. interest in sports or be athletic mm-hmm. um which is weird and that's why like you know daniel fuller probably one of the biggest sports nuts i know um and you can see people sometimes like really is this you know is it a put-on or uh oh, brian alfred oh. the painter yeah. who has um sound plus vision i don't know if you listen to that podcast oh, I, I plug that one a lot but i think avid soccer player and you know, has a life and it's refreshing again to hear he's talking about his kid or playing music or soccer or movies or traveling. Um, Don't you think this extends from this uh, misconception for the longest time that artists are quietly suffering in their studio and just, you know, the mm-hmm. focus and that they don't have any, there's not the blinders are on. There's nothing beyond the, the, uh, the passion of the work. Isn't that a convenient little myth? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, for me, you know, I'm also a runner, and I I ran competitively in high school and college, and that ties in really nicely with art for me in the sense of work ethic, because especially the way I work, it's so much about, like, having a plan and putting in so many hours every day and, you know, making sure you just get the work done. You know, it's just a lot of labor. Mm -hmm. It's not all entirely creative. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, like running competitively like the kind of training plans we had to follow and and all that you know like I'd learned very quickly like the more you run the faster you get you know Mm -hmm. like it's a little bit of an oversimplification but early on it's true and so I just applied the same thing to art like when I started doing it it was like oh just the more I work the better I'm gonna get and and it I think like there's something about that kind of work ethic that continues today in in my studio that is very much informed by running i see that the 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 success stories that we the encounter that always there's discipline what kind of time frames are we talking about in this kind of work in the process uh well for a figure to sculpt it in clay takes about two weeks two two and a half weeks if i'm like really focused on it and working on it like five or six hours a day of just sculpting, mm-hmm. you know? And then it takes about another week or week and a half to make the mold, and then another week to cast it, and then another week to sand it. Mm-hmm. And so that's just one So figure. you've got a multi-threaded... And so I, I usually have multiple things yeah. going on. So, like, right now I'm, you know, doing some adjustments to that one, working on a mold in there, um, uh... I just cast that, so I'm like working on the surface of that, and I have I have a help in the studio too. So I have a student assistant through the honors program, and she comes over on Fridays and sometimes an additional day, and and helps me with the things that you know like casting and sanding and stuff, and and so there's always, I always have to have things for her to do in addition for things for you know, the next right. step that I need to do to make sure that when she comes over again, you know, there's something she can do so that 
It's just a lot of planning and yeah, a lot of parts that are overlapping. And your teaching probably has been invaluable in that, you know, in terms of having to be prepared and and then prepared right. for if that doesn't. Yeah, it's hard to say which informs which. You know, it could be that this also makes me a good teacher because I've already learned those skills through doing this. My little diagram has the Ouroboros here. Yeah, they both yeah. mutually <laughs> right. impact right. Um, keeping it arty and highbrow. Um, do you think you're, I mean, again, it sounds so like, do you think you'd have the career you have without teaching? Would you be making uh, the work you're making? I don't know. It's hard to say because the, so the, the teaching job gives me the financial stability. And so if I didn't have the financial stability, I would need money somehow, right? And so if I had a job that maybe kept me out of the studio more, you know, then it would slow down the production of the work. I think I would still be making the same work. It just might be slower. And, you know, my wouldn't be able to do as many shows and, and things like that. So, um, it, yeah, it definitely has helped you know the teaching the, 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 I mean this is it's labor intensive it's it's costly work to make as you were juggling the teaching and when you work on these are you thinking in terms of individual pieces or are you thinking of installations or does the installation come later I I'm almost always thinking of installation okay and I don't have it like fully formed in my head necessarily, but, you're, but I have like a general idea and I'll start with like a couple figures and then gradually add to that. And as I'm conceiving of the figures, I'm thinking about what I might want to do with the space and the way I want to use color in the space and other elements. And they just like I gradually make decisions until the decisions all pile up to a cohesive show. Right. If you believe in the multi multiverse going back to your question about if you know if you didn't teach would you be making this work what are you doing so if if i wasn't teaching or no if, if you were in the in, in the multiverse what is it what is an all what is an all you don't <laughs> oh i thought that was just a given at this point <laughs> i don't even know in, what it is so in an alternate reality there's another version of you who maybe is still painting. And she was raised by the same parents in the same small town. With tiny Michigan, differences with that altered the course. Tiny differences. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't what know. Do you how, think? Can you, how can you predict that then if there are like tiny differences along the way? You don't care. You're in this one. You're in this reality. Right. Yeah. I mean, maybe to like sort of answer your question, like I sometimes wish I would have gone into film maybe. Really? Like I would like to direct films write and direct films uh i would like to be a creative writer in general like write fiction but i mean that's just sort of like that stuff sounds interesting to me those are paths you might have taken yeah that's interesting yeah when i went yeah. to college i was debating between visual art and creative writing were you okay yeah would you ever uh, give yourself the time to do a residency perhaps that's just devoted to like a writing project or yeah I would I just need a gap in my exhibition schedule oh <laughs> oh well <laughs> well we better get going yeah. <laughs> no I mean it's true like no. I, I always have like no, a deadline awesome. that I'm working towards so it's that's, hard to be like awesome. oh I'm not gonna 
think about this for a while and do something so different. Would uh, it be enough for you, though? I mean, once, once you work know. in this yeah, way... It's hard to say. Yeah. yeah, it is hard to say. Because, like you said, there are many different steps and um, a lot of different skills that are needed for this kind of work. And so it like there's always something that's engaging for me. And so maybe just like sitting at a computer writing wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. But the idea of directing, you know, like I sometimes feel like I'm like dipping my toe into that with these installations yeah, and I'm, I think, I'm, I'm thinking too. about like I'm trying to control how people move through the space and orchestrating a specific experience for them. It's like I'm directing without telling them anything, but instead setting up a situation that sort of predicts how they might respond. Yeah. And there was um, in this at the show at Mattress Factory, mm-hmm. um, the multimedia element there, I haven't looked into it but yeah, there were, there were three cameras in the space, and the cameras fed into monitors on a 30-second delay. And um, a couple of the cameras were crossed so that in one room it fed into a monitor that was in the other room. And, you mm-hmm. know, that happened with two of them. And so, um, you know, you got to see an image of yourself on the monitor from the recent past. You know, 30 seconds is longer than it. Yeah, sounds right and so it kind of it feels like a long time when you're in the space and like you walk into a room and you see the room that you're standing in but you're not there and so you have a sense that there's some sort of camera or mirror or something that's going on but then you you see yourself walk in you know like there's something weird about that where you become an object on the screen that's interesting do you, do you see the work moving more in that direction or I don't want to you know yeah, I would like to start. I would like to do some video things. Yeah. So then, then one of the next things I would like to do, and it's, I'm trying to get funding to do this, but it's a much bigger project. Is I would like to do an installation in in inside a whole house, like to have access to an entire house that I could just like cut through walls and change the rooms and turn the whole thing into an experience that you move through, but then also create some videos there. So not not linear narrative video like I'm not really so interested in narrative but but the but still like doing something with the sense mm-hmm. of time and something with moving images <laughs> video in a space that I create um, no I, like yeah, an no, experimental I, type yeah. video mm-hmm. yeah that's that's all I got right now that's all you need right now yeah what kind of timeline do you look look at when you're working with your projects. Like your lead time, like you, I know it's difficult, and every project's different. But in uh, when you have an idea like what you just had to realization, I a year. I mean, two years would be wonderful, but yeah, you know, you would like more time than I. Yeah, I would love more time. Okay. Yeah, usually I have about a year. Mm-hmm. It's hard to do it much shorter than like nine months. Well, I can't imagine. Well, you were talking about um, before, like getting down in terms of like rejection etc and um, it sounds to me like one of the great coping uh, mechanisms is to just always be busy and uh-huh. you know because you can't really allow yourself to get too down because it's like you got to make the donuts right like, the, the work is always the way out 
or to the next. That sounds negative. I'm so negative today. <laughs> I'm always negative. Or is it I'm the way in? Well, the way out of like that pit, you know, of just, you know, yeah, that evil pit. Anyway. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I think you're right. There's something about um, just working that will lead to the next thing. And so, like, if if I'm feeling down about external validation, that might be blinding me to, like, what is rewarding for me about the actual process of making the work. And so if I then just make myself go to the studio and just work on something, usually then it starts the ideas churning for new things that I get excited about and I almost don't care about, like, where it's going to be shown yet or anything like that. And that's true with the failures as well. I mean, the failures. I mean, in in this case, something breaks, Uh but you learn something from that process. Right, or something turns out differently than I anticipated, but still there's something interesting about it. Yeah, I have a lot of things around the studio that are just like things I'm saving because there's something about them that's interesting, but they're not really pieces that I would ever show. Yeah. Uh, Joe, I I didn't notice this earlier, but you do have a number six, and I want to say a number five on the corner there for you. Oh, I didn't realize that. Sharp tools. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, where, if one were to find out more or reach out to your representation, how would they do that? I uh, could go to my website, cwestsculpture.com or Instagram at cwestsculpture. Um, and Hathaway Gallery in Atlanta has some bus in their back room. Nice. Very good. Hey, we've enjoyed this. Thanks so this much. This is great. Thanks for taking time out of yeah. your, yeah. your busy schedule to... Connect with Joe and Matthew. Take a look at show notes and discover other episodes at brainfuzzpodcast.com. Engage and join the dialogue on social media with hashtag brainfuzzpodcast and on their organically growing Instagram, brainfuzzpodcast. Don't miss the next episode. Subscribe to Brainfuzz Podcast on your favorite podcast platform, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify and Stitcher.